Greetings, everyone. I'm excited to have Nick Smith, CEO and founder of Sale on the show today. Welcome, Nick. Hey, thanks so much, Ben. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you here. Let's dive in. Let's first tell us a little bit about your SaaS background. Sure. Well, I would say Sale is a company I founded inspired by my own sales career and really founded it to reimagine the sales prospecting lifecycle. So I think I took a look around at the very crowded sales enablement space and I thought, hey, this process works. Companies are orchestrating all sorts of platforms and dashboards around their team and, and with their team to create sort of a piecemeal sales process that's smarter than it was 10 years ago. But what if it could be even smarter? And what if we could build bots, or as we call them, sale bots, that do all of those functions on behalf of the human they represent or roll up to? So that's what inspired me. And it, and it was really originally inspired by my long sales career. So I joke with people, Ben, when they start, when we're hiring people, they say, well, I'm a little nervous. You know, I haven't worked for a startup before. And I say, don't worry, sale was my first startup too, but not my first, you know, rodeo when it comes to sales. Mm -hmm. And and your background actually is, you know, you're not a developer or engineering, but you were a sales background and is right also media background. Yeah. So sales, media, media sales, basically, where okay. it was advertising or like political and issue media. I did a lot there. Also did a lot in like sales management, mentorship, working with like sales associates. I will tell you though, I did, I was lucky enough at one point to, to also host a radio show. So I don't know if they were just trying to keep me entertained, but I got to do that as well. But mainly okay function. Yeah. Okay. So really interesting. So different backgrounds. So sales background, media sales background to be specific, and then started sale. And when, when did you found sale? So it was the 4th of July, 2018. I had the idea, just thought this would be great. I was thinking about my own career and that long ramp up process of sales. And well, I guess I could use a bunch of, you know, sales enablement tools that to, to help me along it would just be really nice if a bot could do all of that manual prospecting work for me. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. So let's, let's dive into sale and, and tell us exactly what does sale do and maybe give a use case of how, how, how sale sale helps companies. Sure. So based on a person, a product or a process, like a prospecting process, we build unique sale bots to go to work. So the typical use case for a person is I'm a sales manager. I look around and I see you know, all of my, my reps in front of me, man, I really wish I had three more of her or three more of him. I'm going to instead enable everyone to be as good as them and spend, you know, a lot of money on platforms and, and dashboards and that sort of thing. That's what we're challenging. We say, well, if you really want three more of her, why not just triple her with her own sales robot or sale bot? And we'll onboard her and learn who she prospects what types of decision makers she's pursuing. We won't require any data. We'll essentially take a bunch of inputs from her and use those as, as programmable inputs into the sale bot. So we build that sale bot around the salesperson to go out and, and prospect, find contacts, find companies, validate emails, target and engage via email, read responses, react, propose meetings, input data into the CRM, there's even research functions sale bots do, like whether it's reading annual reports or sourcing news and information. Sale bots do all of that hands-free. 
Um, so to say it another way, and, and sort of back to, to where I started, mm -hmm. if you were to look at the prospecting process as like a line, or we call it the sales obstacle course, we've built sale bots that can handle all of those small parts as one sort of packaged software that's customized. So really you look, say, at a specific sales rep and just the characteristics of that rep and then just try to, I guess, not, I mean, kind of duplicate them, but just enhance their productivity and just, just make them, I guess, do more or just enhance their abilities then with the AI. Exactly. And, and I think it does go maybe a little bit deeper than I'm even saying, like, mm -hmm. you know, is this salesperson aggressive? We can make sale bots more aggressive. Mm -hmm. Are they more, do they take a thought leader approach, et cetera? We can mold the sale bot around that so that it really feels like a digital companion. I think that's what we're, we're going for. Okay. Interesting. And then who, who is your ICP or who are you selling into? Are you selling into say other SaaS AI companies or any type of company with an outbound sales process? So that's where we started any company. And I could still, if, if challenged, make a case for any company. I think ICP wise, we've really found success with fortune 1000, fortune 500 plus. It, it kind of comes down to two buckets. Bucket one is I have a very large sales team and so many systems and processes that there's no time left to prospect. That's pool one. Pool two is I wish I had a really large sales team and I actually need one, you know, tomorrow and the sale bots could really help me with that. So what it comes back to at some level is, is time savings, multiplying efficiency. We talk a lot about total ROI. So I think a lot of sales enablement tools are, are measured on a simple ROI of we paid X and generated Y in revenue. That's certainly valid. And that's why we're here, let's be honest. But the other part of that is here's your savings on cost per task or cost per prospecting task versus doing it manually. Together, that should be a no-brainer from an ROI perspective. Okay. So really it's maybe not specific industries, but targeting, say, larger companies who, like you said, have a large sales time, our large sales team no time to prospect, or they actually want a bigger sales team and can use sale to, to amplify their existing team. Exactly. And if, if I may, the concept we talk about is digital labor. So any team that, that could really use some sort of multiplication of prospecting, digital labor, we think is the solution there. And that's what the sale bots sort of run on. That's their mm -hmm. fuel to prospect and, and multiply output. Okay. So founded the company or the idea generated 2018. And then when did you first go to market then? How long did it take you to, to get that first iteration out? Yeah. So I would say it really 2019 commercially operating. I mean, the sale bots dictated this a little bit because that was step one is turning on our own sale bot. And once the opportunities came in, you know, going back to my sales background, I tend to have a tough time saying no. So we started, you know, taking business and, and that's what we built the company on. We only had one salesperson until three weeks ago. And, and so, but we had a lot of sale bots, right? So that's kind of dictated it a little bit more and, and really focused on growing methodically, learning uh, as startups tend to do, building the plane while it was in the air, listening to a lot of customer feedback. You know, what's interesting about our business is we're solving a very hard problem, but it's there's a couple problems. There's the sales prospecting problem that we're solving. And there's also all these companies that have tried to circle the drain and solve it. 
So, you know, maybe they remind you when to follow up with someone, but they don't follow up with them. Or maybe there's some other way of, of sort of enabling or helping along the sales prospecting journey. We sort of dove in and said, we want to attack all of that. And honestly, at the time, it didn't feel extremely bold to me. It, the, the deeper we went into it, 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 the more bold it felt and how big of a, a value proposition it is. And yeah, interesting. So commercially, say operating 2019. So as you built your MVP, did you use it in the company personally to start prospecting, kind of learn that way, kind of use your own product and then iterate and then get it out the door? Yeah, that's all That's all we did. I mean, mm -hmm. that's that's where it started. You know, that you could think of it like as the mother bot originally or something. Yeah, I love that. And so where, where are you guys located? Are you virtual? Do you have a headquarters in a certain city? So we have two offices, one in Kansas City, where I'm in now, and also in, in New York, where I spent most of my career. So those are sort of our two home bases, but definitely have, you know, remote and virtual team members. We have a hybrid environment. Mm -hmm. We try to get together as often as possible, but yeah, that's the, the format today. Okay. And what, what's your team size currently? Right now we're at 18. Okay. We're in the process of growing to 30, 28 to 30 by March. Oh, yeah. Okay. So fast growth by March. So looking forward to high growth and, and fast growth. We did hire that sales team that I, I spoke about. And so we think that they'll really help us really help the growth move mm -hmm. even faster. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, interesting. We'll get to the fundraising because right, you raised 1.3 ish seed round recently. And then before that, you know, we talked about Fortune 1000 companies that you're targeting. So you're, tell us about your go-to-market motion, right? You're using sale bots, obviously. And is this, you know, to reach, I guess, Fortune 1000 companies, this is that traditional outbound prospecting process to, to land those customers? Exactly. So we, we set profiles for the sale bots and they roll up to a human the same way it would, the same way it'd work if we were speaking with a company externally. So essentially, we have an ICP that we've created for the sale bots in general, but also specific sale bots. And that's where new opportunities come from. So they're pointed toward our ICP, like the same way our clients would. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And so recent seed round 1.35 million. So is that total capital raised to date then with that seed round? Yeah, there was a small, there was a small friends and family round ahead of that, but okay. more or less, that's, that's pretty much yeah. it. Okay. And what did you see, you know, as triggers or milestones to raise that seed? Because I liked, you know, in the press release for that seed round, you mentioned really a, a philosophy of just bat like balanced growth, right? Growth and profitability and not just growth at all costs. So, so with the seed round, what did you see that said, you know, okay, okay it's time to, to raise some capital? Yeah, so it's a really good question. I think when I look back to what I was thinking through about the fundraise, I built sale the way I thought you were supposed to build a business, which is still kind of how I think you're supposed to build a business. We were profitable early. We were very you know, conservative in terms of growth and, and trying to just learn at every step. Uh, ultimately, we saw an opportunity plus the market dictating some things. It, it came down to a decision of how do we invest in sale the right way to ensure that it's secure to realize its full potential and growth? And that's really what it came down to. But how do we also raise what I would call a, a moderate or, or conservative amount just to ensure that growth? And, and, and I think that because we had customers early, we were able to learn 
while still providing value, which is very hard to do. We were very flexible with customers. We listened to them and would provide value above and beyond, I think, expectations. We didn't put a lot of caps on deliverables because we all because we knew that that we were benefiting from it a lot too, besides just their investment in that sort of mutual understanding environment we were trying to create. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so it really sounds like early on, those early customers was learning a lot from them and just figuring out that product market fit yet in, in kind of that earlier phase. Yeah, it was. It was it was learning and hearing their feedback, seeing what they wanted to know more of. Digital labor comes to mind in the concept specifically because that was an idea pre-sale, like pre-sale bot, all of that. This this concept of digital labor was very early. We wanted to see how that resonates. You're talking about people that are used to buying leads or buying seats on a platform. And this is pretty different than that. This is this is somewhere in between that and hiring a person. So how are they going to value this? You know, on a sales floor, if someone makes a cold call and they don't get a meeting, but the person says, hey, follow up with me in three months, I'll be really interested then, that salesperson is probably going to tell someone about that because that's not a bad outcome. It's not the greatest outcome, but it's not a bad one. And when it comes to seats on a platform or like lead generation, those things seem to be lost in translation. And they're lost because it's not a process that's continuously nurturing new potential customers, which a sale bot is. So we have to remind sales leaders of, of those things while at the same time, giving them value the way on on the the terms they want to receive it. And so that's a lot of what we learned over the past couple of years. Okay. Yeah. Really interesting. And so I think there are probably a lot of founders out there who were in your position, bootstrapping, you know, concert, you know, balancing growth and profitability, and then, you know, see some product market fit coming and then wondering, all right, should I raise? So any lessons learned along the way with the seed raise that you'd like to share with, with founders listening? Yeah, no, I, I appreciate the opportunity to do that. What I would say is there's definitely some truth to that sort of intersection of imposter syndrome and also the ceiling you set for yourself. Because it wasn't so much about, I had a pretty good idea there was product market fit based on my own career. What I didn't know is what product market fit of the second or third pricing iteration looked like, or you know these seven tweaks we made to the product. I didn't ultimately know what product market fit looked like there. So being open to the company taking on a life of its own, but still finding product market fit based on that. Like it's elastic. And, and so being okay with that and comfortable with that process would be advice. You know, mm-hmm. let me say it another way. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of, of talk around, um, hey, if the first idea doesn't work out, don't give up, try another idea. That's one part of it. But the other part of it is, what if the first idea works out, but it could be even better than you can imagine? Be open to that. It's not about, there's not like a finish line of product market. Mm-hmm but there's iterations of it. I love that. Yeah, not a finish line for product market. Love that. And so with this, with the seed round, where was the investor focus, you know, in, in your business? Were they 
looking at your addressable market? Were they looking at the story that you were selling? Like where where was that? Because I'm guessing not not a lot of numbers to sink into or assess metrics yet. But where was that that focus from investors when they put that seed round in? Well, I think it's it's a great question because I think the focus was was really centered around market and around competition and other companies. But how that was viewed through the investor's eyes was quite different. The typical response would be, you know, sales enablement. Wow, there's a lot of companies out there. And to me, I was saying exactly, you know, there's a lot. It looks like quick service restaurants in like late 2007 on, you know, suburban street corners. There's a lot of that out there. You know, what if we could sort of reset and, and focus on the problem? All those things are circling and go after what's in the center of it, you know, revenue, cost of sale, efficiency. And so I think those that those that got that, there were there were a certain population that really understood that. And we gravitated toward them for sure. So that when looking back at the fundraising process, that definitely stands out. I also think that there was a lot of interest in in like, you know, me being a subject matter expert, I think. I don't know. You live something for your whole career and then you and you're called a subject matter expert. It feels like a reduction of some sort, but I guess it's not. I guess it's a compliment. So Right. Yeah. So you came from that background. So you could talk to talk. You know what sales teams are looking for. And really interesting that yeah, you mentioned like the investors saw, yeah, a lot of mar there's you know big market comp, but a lot of competition, right, in sales enablement. So we're your investors, I'm assuming very familiar with the SaaS or you know tech AA model, but then did they have other investments in sales enablement that made them more familiar with the space so they could talk in a more refined way around the problem that you're trying to solve? It just feels like everyone has an investment in sales enablement at this point, you know? So I think so. And I think that they were definitely well versed in it. I think it helped illustrate the hard problem we're, we're trying to solve. I mean, there's a lot here. There's a lot to unpack. On one hand, there's like RPA and process automation that I feel like has neglected sales a bit or sales has been an afterthought. You know, everyone has like a, an account accounting RPA solution. Mm -hmm. There's that. Then there's like this lead generation world, which is the wild west and not something rightfully so, I would say, particularly attractive to, to everyone, you know? So there's that piece of it too. Then there's the shiny sales enablement where we make your life easier world that there's so much mass in. And so there's a lot of, it's a pretty charged, area of of SaaS. And so I think that we were a little bit different. We always looked a little bit different. We approached it differently. What I tried to convey to them that this isn't a novel concept. It's radically different, but it's tethered to something salespeople have to do every day, which makes it practical. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. makes a lot of sense. So Nick, really appreciate the time today. So as we wrap up, what's next? What's exciting that's coming up for sale? I think our mission is to elevate sales executives out of the sales obstacle course. We're doing that today. We want to let them know we're right there with them more. So I think connecting the human and their sale bot in more ways is, is really exciting to us. Also like to explore a lot the idea of, of really multiplying a salesperson or a team. And so I think that we're extending more 
data and we're extending more insights into how their sale bots performing. That's on our roadmap. And otherwise just growing and, and building a, an incredible team that like the team we already have today, I think is something we think about daily. That's great. So really appreciate your time today. If listeners would like to learn more about sale, where should we send them online? So they can go to sale. That's like sales with AI, S-A-I-L-E dot A-I. And they can check out more info there or LinkedIn or, or feel free to, to send an email to me directly. Nick at sale.ai. Love to All hear right. from you. Perfect. So if you'd like to learn more, check out sale. So S-A-I-L-E dot A-I. And if you'd like to reach out to Nick personally, email Nick. So N-I-C-K at sale.ai. So Nick, really appreciate your time today and sharing your story. Awesome. Thanks so much, Ben. I really appreciate it. Thanks.